Luke. Matthew, Luke, chapter 11, verse 20. <coughs> Luke, chapter 11, and verse 20. We've been in this uh, study for a few weeks now on theology, the doctrine of Satan and demons, or demonology. And now we come to the conclusion of that teaching with the victory of Christ, the victory of Christ over Satan and demon powers. Say with me, the victory of Christ. Luke chapter 11 and verse 20. Jesus says this, But if I with the finger of God cast out demons or devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him, and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor, wherein he trusted and divided his spoils. Amen. Father, we thank you right now for your goodness, mercy, and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Like the Bible tells us, Jesus says, when he cast out demons, the finger of God was being manifested there. So every time you see a demonic spirit cast out, or Satan defeated, by the power of God, that is a manifestation. The kingdom of God is there. Okay? And Jesus cast out demons with just a finger. He didn't even need more than that because he was God. The Bible tells us, though, about a strong man, that a strong man armed keeps his palace, but when a stronger than him comes, then that strong man is defeated by the stronger man, and then his goods are distributed. Jesus Christ is the strong man that defeated Satan and spoiled his goods. Jesus is the strong man. And after he defeated Satan and demon powers, then he distributed those things to the church. You understand that? So Jesus Christ, his victory has gotten us the victory. So he has conquered Satan and his host so that that victory is for us. He is a strong man who has overcome Satan. Y'all believe that today? The victory of Christ is seen in three parts. All right? By his death, burial, and resurrection, his life in the wilderness, number one, say his life, his death, his resurrection. Victory in three parts. Three areas. Spirit, soul and body okay first of all in his life he defeated satan you remember when he went out into the wilderness after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights well he was full of the spirit when he went into the wilderness but after he prayed and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights he came out in the power of the spirit so you and i may be full of god this morning we may be full of the holy ghost this morning but what puts us in a position of power is when we pray and we fast. So Jesus, the Bible says, he was led of the Spirit into the wilderness, but after 40 days of, of fasting and prayer, the Bible says, then after that he was tempted 
and he defeated Satan. And the scripture says he came back in the power of the Spirit. Okay? Now you remember when Satan tempted him in the wilderness. Jesus defeated him in his life. In those three areas of body, soul, and spirit, Jesus was tempted in those areas just like you and I are. And we'll talk about those uh, right now. Three areas of life. Number one, body, soul, and spirit. Three areas of sin. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Y'all understand that? Okay? So Jesus took the battle to the devil. He went out into the wilderness. And the Bible says there he was tempted of the devil. So he didn't wait for the devil to come. He took the battle to the devil. And when the devil came, he tempted Jesus in those three areas. Body, soul, and spirit. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, how is it if Jesus is God, how is it that Satan could tempt him? Because you can't tempt God. Then how would Jesus tempted of the devil in the wilderness? Well, he was tempted as a man. Okay? Jesus, as the last Adam, the second man, was attacked and assaulted by Satan. Okay? Not as God, but as a man. Now, the first Adam was tempted in the garden, and the first Adam sinned. So the second Adam, or the last Adam, the second man comes into the world, and he is in a warfare or a battle with Satan. So that Jesus, this is how he was tempted, this is how he was attacked. Jesus as the last Adam and the second man. Okay? The first Adam was defeated in the garden. The last Adam, the second man, defeated Satan when Satan came and tempted him. So we know that Adam fell as a result of temptation and he fell into sin. But Jesus comes into the world, he takes the battle to the devil, the devil tempts him in the same areas that he tempted Eve in the garden, and Jesus defeats him. First Adam was defeated, but the last Adam was victorious. You need to understand how Jesus was, was tempted, how he was attacked, not as God, but as a man, as the last Adam, and as the second man. But he overcame the devil in the temptation of body, soul, and spirit, and three areas, lust of the flesh, amen, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Okay, say praise the Lord. So, the Bible tells us that Satan, in Genesis chapter 3, tempted the first Adam. The first Adam fell, bringing man of the satanic control and into the kingdom of sin, sickness, and death. Jesus was tempted in body, lust of the flesh. He was tempted in soul, lust of the eyes, and he was tempted in spirit, pride of life. Okay? And he overcame the devil. Y'all understand that? The first Adam was defeated. The last one was victorious. And I'll give you some verses to write down. I don't have time to read them all. But Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, and also chapter 4, and verse 15, tells us that Jesus defeated Satan. Okay? In his what? In his life. Stay with me, life. 
He defeated them in his life, Satan in the wilderness, on a personal level. Before he could defeat Satan as representative for us on the death of the cross, he had to defeat Satan personally. And he did that in the wilderness. He defeated Satan personally in the wilderness, and then when he went to the cross, died, was buried, and rose again the third day and ascended up, he defeated Satan representatively. That means he represented uh, for us the victory. Does that make sense to you? Okay? Praise the Lord. When he had personal victory over Satan, that gave him foundation for power and authority. So when Satan came and tempted him to fall because he did not give in to the temptations of Satan, then that was a foundation for his power and authority. When Satan comes against you in the flesh and tempts you to try to make you fall, if you don't give in to those temptations, that will bring power and authority to your life. That's the foundation. Okay? You understand that? All right? In his death, burial, and resurrection, he defeated Satan uh, in our behalf. When he defeated Satan in the wilderness, he defeated Satan on God's behalf or on his behalf. But on the cross, he defeated Satan in our behalf, and that started at Gethsemane. Now, Jesus goes into Gethsemane, he begins to pray. The Bible says he prays so hard that the capillaries in his brow break, and blood mingles with sweat and begins to fall to the ground. Now, I don't know if you realize how much pressure is being exerted in that moment. What is happening is Satan is coming in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's trying to kill Jesus before Jesus gets to the cross. And Jesus is praying there because he knows he cannot die in the Garden of Gethsemane, but he has to die on the cross as representative for us to defeat the powers of hell for us on our behalf. Satan comes and tries to kill him in the Garden. And Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. Now remember that. And the battle is so intense that blood begins to come out of the capillaries in his brow mingled with sweat and it falls to the ground. Tremendous warfare in the garden of Gethsemane. The Bible says the angel of the Lord came and strengthened him so that Jesus wouldn't die in that place because it was the wrong place. The angel of the Lord came and strengthened him in that time of intense battle so that he was able to go to the cross and die in our place to represent us so we could also have power and victory over Satan. But he first defeated Satan in his life personally before he defeated Satan on our behalf on the cross. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, that great intense warfare that took place, that's where, are y'all here with me? Beyond the wilderness, that's where when you begin to move in, into representative type action where Jesus defeats Satan on our behalf, it starts at Gethsemane, okay? He's praying so intensely that you can imagine that kind of pressure causing the, the capillaries to bust, all right? Now, there are people that I know personally when they lift heavy, heavy amounts of weight, okay, if they're weightlifters, and they lift heavy amounts of weight that they will have little places on their face where the capillaries begin to, to break. And you can see those capillaries break on the side of their face. And I'm talking about tremendous amounts of weight 
that are being pushed that cause that to happen. If you think about what kind of pressure Jesus was under when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and Satan attacks him and tries to kill him before he makes it to the cross so he can die on our behalf so that Satan can be defeated on our behalf. Tremendous warfare that took place there. But the angels of God came and strengthened Jesus and he said, not my will, but your will be done. Remember, he said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He's talking about the cross. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Do you understand what was going on there? It's not that Jesus was afraid of pain. It's not that Jesus didn't want to go through, through the suffering. He was not a coward. He was a man's man. So when he said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, he wasn't talking about trying to escape suffering or pain. He was fixed to become the sin bearer, take your and my place and die in our place. A man who had never known sin, a man who was perfect and obedient to the will of God in every area of his life was going to become sin, the sacrifice for sin on our behalf. And the thought that your sins, all the sins of the world would be placed on him and that he was going to die for that sin was why he said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me because he was holy. Amen. He didn't have to die, but he did. So he said, nevertheless, not my will be done, but that's where the battle started right there as far as Jesus defeating Satan on our behalf. He defeated him in the Garden of Gethsemane. The angel of the Lord came and strengthened him. He got up from there and he went to the cross and there he died. And when he died, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, he crushed the head of the serpent. He defeated Satan. And that power he's now transferred to the church so that you and I are now victorious over Satan. All of his power, all of the demon powers, everything that would attack you, we are victorious over him because of what Jesus did for us beginning at Gethsemane and all the way up to the cross, dying at Calvary, and then rising from the dead. Say praise the Lord if you believe that. Some scriptures you can write down, Luke 22, uh, 53, Colossians 2, 14 through 15. So we are now victorious over Satan and all of those fallen angels that are under his authority because of what Jesus Christ did in his finished work. Y'all believe that? Now, Jesus defeated Satan in five realms. Say five realms. He conquered Satan as the author of sin. And that scripture is 1 John 3, 8. He conquered Satan as the author of sickness, Acts 10, 38. He conquered Satan as the author of death, Hebrews 2, 13 through 14. He conquered Satan as the rulers of the kingdom of this world, Matthew 4, 8, Revelation 11, 15. And in the realm of the heavens and the earth, Ephesians 4, 8 through 10. So five realms Satan was defeated by Jesus' work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. Say, praise the Lord. Let me give it to you again. He conquered him, Satan, as the author of sin, author of sickness, author of death, as the ruler of the kingdoms of the world and in the realms of the heavens and the earth. Satan is completely and totally defeated by the work of Jesus Christ. And God has stripped him, defeated him, and transferred everything that he had and given it to the church. 
Amen. So we are victorious over Satan today. We are victorious over all those fallen angels that fell with him because of what Jesus Christ did. Number one, first of all, personally, by defeating him personally, but then by going to the cross and representing us. You've got to know this. Amen. Because if you don't, the enemy comes against you and attacks you. Demonic spirits come and attack you. Fallen angels come and attack you. If you don't know who you are, then you're going to be afraid. You're going to run and hide. But if you know that you are victorious because Jesus was victorious, you have absolutely nothing to fear. Say praise the Lord. Now, Jesus is Lord over all. Say with me. He's Lord over all. And he has stripped the enemy of his power. Now, we'll go back to Ezekiel 28 and talking about stripping the strong man Satan of his power and authority. You will see in Ezekiel chapter 28 the way the Bible describes Satan before he fell. The Bible tells us all these various minerals that were in his being. Say praise the Lord. Okay, we look at uh, verse 12, Ezekiel 28. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. Say thy covering. The sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, gold, the workmanship of thy tablets and thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. So the precious stones were the covering of Satan when God created him. You understand that? Now he rebelled against God. God cast him out of heaven. But he didn't lose everything. I want you to catch this. Jesus comes in the world and defeats him personally and then on the cross rising from the dead. And when he did that, he stripped him of his covering. He defeated him. Okay? Now let's go over here and I'll show you in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 31. In those days, this is the way the, uh, the vanquished or those that were defeated in battle were treated. 1 Samuel chapter 31. Please turn quickly. I'm going to move fast because i got a lot to cover this morning. All right, you remember when Saul and his son was killed in battle, right? The scripture tells us very clearly there in 1 Samuel, thank you, Jesus, for his victory. Now, what, what happens is when the enemy or somebody's vanquished or defeated in battle, the Bible tells us what they would do in that culture. They would strip them of their armor or their covering and they would put them in the house of their gods, okay? So in Saul and Jonathan's case, when they were killed in battle, the Philistines went and got their, their armor, stripped their clothing, and put it in the house of their gods. And then they took the body of Saul and hung him on the wall. Now I want you to listen, this is very important. So let me read it to you, 1 Samuel chapter 31. The Bible tells us in verse 8, it came to pass on the morrow when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen in Mount Gilboa. 
and they cut off his head, stripped off his what? His armor, and sent it into the land of the Philistines round about to publish it in the house of their idols and among the people. And they put his armor in the house of Asherah, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bashan. Now later on, David will go and get the body of Saul, King Saul, off of that wall, all right? And give him a proper burial. Uh, but the point being is this, is that when somebody is vanquished or defeated in battle, their armor is stripped, placed in the house of their false gods, or in some case God, uh, and then their bodies are hung on the wall. When we see Ezekiel chapter 30, uh, 28, the Bible talks about how in the makeup of Lucifer, we have these precious stones, correct? The Bible tells us that Jesus defeated Satan. He defeated him personally and then in his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. So we should see then in the Bible what happened to the vanquished, what happened to Satan's armor, what happened to him when Jesus defeated him. Now remember the stones that were in his makeup? Go to the book of Revelation. Right, Revelation 21 18. The building of the wall was of jasper. The city is pure gold, like clear glass. And the foundations of the what? The wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation jasper, sapphire, chalcedony, emerald, sardonyx, sardius, chrysolite, beryl, topaz, uh, chrysoprasus, and then we have jacinth and we have amethyst. So what we see here is minerals, minerals that were in the makeup of the covering of Satan. When Jesus came and defeated him personally, and then on his uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of the cross, when Jesus defeated him, he stripped that enemy, he stripped Satan of his armor, of his covering. And now we see them hanging on the walls of the city of the heavenly Jerusalem. You understand what I just showed you here? So just like they hung the body of Saul up on the on the wall as a testimony that Saul was defeated, God took what was the covering of Satan and put them in the city of the New Jerusalem so that forever and ever and ever for throughout eternity there'll be a testimony that Satan has been vanquished and that Satan has been defeated and that God has literally hung, hung his covering into the walls of that city. Give God praise and glory and honor today. Now, what does the Bible also about say about that city, the New Jerusalem? It says it's a, it's a bride. It's prepared as a bride or adorned for her husband. So not only does God show us that he defeated Satan by putting in the walls of that city the very makeup of Satan himself, but he put it in the city, which is the bride. So it lets us know not only is the devil defeated by Jesus Christ and he's been stripped of his armor, but that he has given the spoils of Satan to the bride, the heavenly Jerusalem. Say praise the Lord today. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost this morning. What a mighty God we serve. So Jesus Christ, the strong man, has vanquished the enemy. He, his uh, coverings are hanging on the walls, and he divides the spoils with the church. In his resurrection and ascension, are y'all here with me? 
He defeated Satan in the heavenly realms. Praise God. So he defeated Satan in life. He defeated Satan on the cross. And now in his resurrection, he defeated Satan in the heavenly realm. Because you have to remember that when Satan rebelled against God in heaven, it defiled the sanctuaries in heaven. Praise God. In fact, if you think about the book of Job, which we we're teaching you on Wednesday night, Satan still appears in before the throne of God Almighty in the heavenly realm, and he's a devil. So Satan's fall, it didn't just affect the earth, it affected the heavens. The Bible says in Job, the heavens are not clean in his sight. The Bible says that God does not trust his angels. Are, are you with me today? Because they have fallen and the heavens are not clean in his sight. So when Satan rebelled against God, it affected the heavenly realm. And here he shows up in Job chapter 1 and 2 before the throne of God. A devil is able to approach the throne of God so that the heavens have been affected by his fall. But Jesus, when he rose again from the dead, ascended and sat on the right hand of God in the heavenly realm. He defeated Satan in the heavenly realm as well. And the Bible tells me as a result of that, that God's going to make a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. So that any defiling aspect of Satan's rebellion, are y'all here today? Or his approach to the throne, even in the days of Job, is going to be completely removed in the future by the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. So Jesus defeated him in his life. He defeated him in his death and uh, burial. And he defeated him in his resurrection and ascension. Give God praise here today. Colossians 2.10 and then Job 1.6-12. We see uh, that Satan brought discord into the heavens. He is the accuser of the brethren in this realm. And uh, we are represented by Jesus Christ in heaven. Right? No wonder Jesus said in Matthew at 28.19-20. He said, you shall receive power or authority. Right? You shall receive power and authority, right? How many of y'all believe that? We're at. Who has power and authority in heaven and earth? Well, he said, all power and authority. He said, I have all power and authority. We're at. In heaven and in earth. He's transferred that to the church so that he now, as our representative in the heavenly realm, defeats Satan because he has authority over heaven and earth not just earth all power or authority is given to him in heaven and earth go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the father son and holy ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever i have commanded you and so because he has power in both realms he has power in the earth realm and power in the heavenly realm right now as he sits upon that throne he defeats satan in the heavenly realm on our behalf we are victorious. So when he comes as an accuser of the brethren in that heavenly realm, guess what? Our advocate has already defeated him. Because our advocate has defeated him because he's sitting on the throne. When that accuser of the brethren comes in that heavenly realm to accuse us, Jesus has already defeated him. Praise God. He's defeated his accusations. Are you kidding me? You're going to face the one that represented us in his death and burial? And, and now he's resurrected, sitting on the right hand of God, the last Adam glorified, and you're going to bring accusations against the church of the living God when he is our mediator and our advocate, and he's sitting on the throne, is telling you that Jesus gets us the victory 
by his representation even in the heavens as the enemy tries to accuse us before God in that realm. Give the Lord praise in this house. So he defeated Satan in his life in the wilderness. He defeated Satan on the cross. He defeated Satan in the resurrection from the dead. Every realm that Satan could possibly be defeated in or exercise authority in, he has been defeated right now. Give God praise. He defeated Satan in the three areas of sin, body, soul, and spirit. Three areas of life, body, soul, and spirit. Three areas of sin, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. There is no realm that Satan can say, I can manage or I have authority over because Jesus Christ defeated him. Personally and also representatively. And I thank God today I'm victorious because of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. We are represented by Him in the heavens. The work of Jesus is for God and for the church. Now, as far as the ministry of the church is concerned, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 through 11, Romans 16, 20, the Bible tells us that Jesus is going to put Satan under our feet. As far as the church is concerned, what is our responsibility? We are also used by Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, to subdue the devil. Satan will shortly bruise Satan, or Jesus will shortly bruise Satan under our feet. We are to subdue him. He is not to subdue us. He is not to overcome us. He's not to defeat us. Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, through us, we are subduing him. We are defeating him. So that means that Jesus Christ is using the church to, to defeat Satan right now. Hallelujah to the Lamb. And we may go through battles. We may go, and the Bible's clear about this because we are flesh. We are human beings. And if Jesus could be attacked and assaulted in the realm of being the last Adam of the second man, then I'm telling you right now, then we as human beings need to understand that that's why Satan comes and attacks us because we are man. We are human beings. But we are not to allow Satan to defeat us. We are to put him under our feet. Because Jesus has given us power and authority. He has vanquished the enemy and he has divided the spoils with the church. No wonder Jesus said this when you pray. He said, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we pray that, are y'all here today? Our Father who art in heaven, Thy kingdom come. It's not a request. You're not asking the Lord to bring His kingdom. It's not a request. It is a command. If you can receive it like this when you say, Our, our Father who art in heaven, Thy kingdom come. You put your foot down. It is a command. Why do you put your foot down when you make that statement? Our Father who art in heaven, Thy kingdom come. Why do you put your foot down like that? Because the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ will shortly bruise Satan. Where? Under our feet. The Bible tells us when Jesus, Jesus started walking on the water, the water there represents the abyss. It represents the dwelling place of the dragon. And every step that Jesus took as he walked on the water, he was saying, Satan's dominion is defeated. He is conquered. I'm walking on his 
I'm walking on his territory. I'm putting my foot down on his realm. And so when you pray, it's not a you're not asking God for his kingdom to come. It is a command, thy kingdom come. And you put your head, your foot down, and you crush the head of the serpent. That's what it's about. Say praise God today. So when Jesus walked on the water, that's what he's saying. I've defeated the realm of the dragon. I'm walking on top of the realm of the dragon. So when you say thy kingdom come, you put your foot down and you give a mandate and you give a command that the kingdom of God is being established right now. Say praise the Lord. I remember we went to Taiwan and I was preaching and the Holy Ghost used that through me to minister to that church in Taiwan. And uh, at that time, I was on a, on a platform of some kind. I came down off of that, jumped off that platform, came down with both feet on the ground and said, Thy kingdom come. You see, the dragon claims Taiwan to be his. He claims that to belong to him. But when I went to, over there in Taiwan, the Holy Ghost said, No, 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 no. This is God's kingdom. And you don't ask for it to come. You command it. You demand it over the powers of hell. And you come down and you crush the head of the serpent. Because Jesus crushed the head of the serpent. The head of the serpent is where the poison is. It's where the venom's located. And when Jesus was crucified on the cross, he crushed the head of the serpent. And so when we say, Thy kingdom come, we come down on his head and we enforce what Jesus did. Thy kingdom come. You put your head on the or you put your foot on the head of the serpent because of what Jesus Christ did. We don't walk around defeated in life. God has given us authority. He's given us power. He's divided the spoil of Satan. He's stripped him of his armor. Say praise God. So the ministry of the church now is to subdue him. And we have what? We have delegated authority. God has delegated that authority uh, with us. Praise the Lord. Acts 26. Not long ago I preached to you on uh, demonology and how it affects people in the church, so on and so forth. And this is the scripture that we read to you. Amen. The Bible tells us in Acts 26 and verse 18, the purpose of the gospel, I'll start with verse 17, deliver thee, deliver me thee from the people and from the Gentiles and whom, whom I now send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from what? darkness to light from the power of what? Satan unto God and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. That's the gospel. We're to turn people from darkness to light from the power of Satan to God. That is the power of the gospel. We as a church are involved right now in subduing Satan. Every time we win a soul to Jesus Christ we are defeating the enemy. We are subduing him. You understand? Give God praise. And the good news is this, is that one time you used to be friends of the enemy because you were in his army. You were in his household. But when you came into the kingdom of God, now Satan is defeated by those who were once his friends. Jesus takes you and I who are once in the kingdom of darkness. He takes us and translates us and puts us in his kingdom. And now he uses us to defeat the kingdom we used to be a part of and used to and defeat the master that we used to serve. So now that Satan is now defeated, 
by people who used to be his friends. And God gets the glory for it because it's a delegated authority and we are to exercise that authority to spread the gospel, to deliver people from the power of darkness and bring light, the power of Satan into God's kingdom. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Somebody say praise the Lord. We have power of attorney. We have power of attorney. Say power of attorney. When you're water baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the power of attorney legally in the spirit realm. You have the power of attorney. That means you can use his name. So we, we subdue Satan by winning souls, bringing souls out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. We subdue him every time we do that. We also subdue him by using the name of Jesus. When we use the name of Jesus, that delegated authority and power, that is our authority, that is our power. When we use that name of Jesus, he is defeated. Amen. Give God praise by the name of Jesus. But you never say you got the power of attorney. That means, let me just put it to you this way. When you use the name of Jesus, all of heaven is behind you. Everything that's in the name of Jesus, all the power, all the authority, everything that Jesus did, when you say Jesus, when you do that, when you say that name, all the power, all the authority, everything that Jesus did is in that name. And Satan is subdued when you use the name of Jesus. There's power in the name. And he gave us the ability to use it. Therefore, 2 Timothy 1, 7, the Bible says he's not given us a spirit of fear, but one of love, power, and a sound mind. Okay? So when the enemy does attack, we don't get afraid, run. As one, one person said, I, I heard not too long ago say it this way when the enemy does come and does attack we don't run and hide under the bed that's what a lot of people try to that's what they want to do they say well the enemy's coming around you know he's bothering me right now you don't run and hide under the bed because jesus has not given us the spirit of fear i am not afraid of the devil you are not afraid of the devil you are not to be afraid of the devil i'm not to be afraid of the devil or all his demonic hosts because he has been defeated by Jesus Christ. So the churches can never be afraid of Satan. Never. Individually or corporately, we are not afraid of him. But what we need to understand is that we must battle to possess the promises. And I said this not long ago when I was preaching to you in the book of Joshua. Notice this. Israel had already been delivered. They had already been saved by the what? The blood of the Lamb. They had the lamb on the inside of them. That's a picture of being filled with the Holy Ghost. They ate the lamb. The blood was applied to their life in three places. Death, burial, resurrection. Amen. Repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name. The infilling of the Holy Ghost. The blood was applied in three places. They went out of Egypt with the lamb inside of them, a type of being filled with the Holy Ghost. But when they came to the promised land, even though they already had been saved and delivered by the power of the blood and had the lamb in them, they still had to go and fight battles in the promised land, which teaches us the promised land is not heaven. Because when you when you get to heaven, you don't have to fight the enemy anymore. The promised land in the book of Joshua is a picture of a person who has been redeemed by the blood. It's a picture of a person who is born again of the water and the spirit that has to fight in this life. 
has to overcome the enemy, has to conquer the enemy. Which means this, there are many promises that God has made us. Many promises that God has made me. But that doesn't mean I'm going to possess them. Because you have to battle, you have to fight to possess those promises. So as Israel went into the land, they had to fight the enemy. And possess the promised land. That land was called the promised land. But they had to go and fight the enemy so they could possess their promises. Amen. So we have to battle the enemy in the promised land. We have to go and possess the promises. They're not just going to come to us. Just because God made them, you've got to go and take them. You've got to go and defeat the enemy and possess those promises. Hallelujah. How many of y'all have many promises from God? But how many of you are possessing them this morning? You say, well, God made the promise. Why, aren't I, why, why am I not possessing them? Because you have to understand that when you go in the promised land, there's still enemy in the land that have to be vanquished. They have to be defeated. They have to be overcome. And that's the way Satan is. He's not just going to let you have the promises of God without a fight. You're going to have to fight. Come on, give God praise in this house. That's what the enemy wants us to do. He doesn't want us to fight. He doesn't want us to understand that if we're going to possess the promises of God, that we have, we have to fight that good fight of faith. That's what the church is about. It's about subduing Satan. It's about allowing Jesus Christ to put him under our feet. It's about winning souls, bringing people out of darkness into light and the kingdom of Satan, the power of Satan into the kingdom of God. It's about going out there and battling, possessing the promises of God. He's got many promises that you and I have not yet experienced because we're not fighting for them. The enemy's not going to lay down and just let you walk in and take the promise. You're going to have to fight. You're going to have to battle. You're going to have to pray. You're going to have to fast. You're going to have to use the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the Holy Ghost, the gifts of the Spirit. The moment that you and I, and this is what he wants you to do, he wants you to pull out a white flag, and he wants you to say, I'm, I'm not fighting anymore. Are you hearing me right now? When you pull the white flag out and you say, I'm not fighting the devil anymore because it's too hard, I'm going to tell you what he's going to do. When you pull the white flag of surrender out and say, I surrender, he's not going to surrender. It might happen in, you know, in battle in the earth realm where, where a general pulls out a flag and says, I surrender, and the other army stops fighting. But in Satan's kingdom, he doesn't stop trying to kill you. You can pull your flag out and say, I surrender. He's not going to give up. He's not going to let up. He's going to come harder until he can wipe you completely out. I call you this morning to get up in the name of Jesus and start fighting again. Because if you don't, he's going to hang your hide on his wall. He's going to put your armor on the wall. He's going to put your hide on the wall of hell. You hear what I said? If the Philistines can, can vanquish a mighty, mighty king whose name was Saul, who was anointed to be king. If the enemy can take that man that was anointed by God, who won many battles in the kingdom of God on the, for the for God, if the enemy can defeat him and hang his hide on the wall, 
That's what he wants to do to you. And that's what he wants to do to me. He wants to take you. And in this battle that we're in, as we seek to subdue him, listen to every one of you precious people out there this morning. I don't care who you are. The devil's desire is to kill you. You can wave the flag and say, well, I'm done. But I'm telling you this. He will take you and he will kill you. He is not going to surrender. And when he does kill you, he is going to be able to say, look, I got this trophy. And, they are, and he's going to hang you on his wall of hell. He doesn't rule in hell, but you understand what I'm talking about today. That's what he wants. He wants to take you to hell with him. He wants your flesh to burn there forever. He wants to hang you on a wall, cut your head off, take the armor of God that gave you, and strip you of it forever and ever. But Jesus Christ has come to give us the victory. He's given us the armor. We are to subdue him. We're to go forward. We are to vanquish the enemy. Because if I don't vanquish him, and I don't be, defeat him by the power of God that's in me, he's going to hang my flesh on the wall of hell. And he's going to celebrate throughout eternity. I got you, and you can't get out. Oh, you claimed you were going to live for the Lord all the way to the end, but I got you, didn't I? I got you, and you can't get out. Well, I got news for you. I have no, there's no love lost for me for the devil. I don't love the devil. I hate evil. I hate evil. And just the thought of him hanging my flesh on the wall of hell as a trophy forever and ever throughout eternity that he was able to defeat me. Are you kidding me? I don't want Satan to hang my, my flesh on the wall. Let me say this right now. It may not be that I'm preaching to somebody about eternal things, but right now the devil's already got your flesh hung on his wall. In the name of Jesus. Because he stopped you from fighting. He stopped you from warring. So in some sense, your arm has been stripped by him. And he puts you on the wall. Now you're on display to the powers of darkness and hell. I caught him. I caught her. I caught him. I caught her. I caught him. I caught her. They're not fighting anymore. In the name of Jesus, I'm, if, if that's the case, I'm coming off the wall. In the name of Jesus, I'm going back. I'm picking up my armor. I'm putting it on. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to fight the good fight of faith again. In the name of Jesus. Don't talk to me about how you're fighting, but you're not moving. There's no action in your life. You understand what he wants to do to you? Do you understand what he wants to do to me? Kill you, cut your head off, and hang you on a wall. He doesn't surrender. He never has surrendered. He wants you surrender. Yeah, now that he's got you right where he wants you now. He can just take you and just strip you and do whatever he wants to do with you. In the name of Jesus. All right. I'm going to tell you right now. In the name of the Lord. I am your pastor. I've been through a battle. And God gave me the victory. And I thank God for all of your prayers. But now we're on we're in different days now. We're walking, we're, listen to me, we're walking different on different territory now. I call every leader in this church to rise up and begin to fight again. If you don't, I'm going to replace you. I'm going to replace you. You hear what I'm saying? No more excuses. No more playing games. Are y'all here with me right now? Come on, somebody. We need somebody that'll fight. We need somebody that'll stand up and subdue what God. This is, this is God's kingdom. God gives you space to repent. But if you don't repent, 
Your days are numbered. Hallelujah. You better start fighting. That's a revelation from the Lord uh, to me how, what the devil wants to do with me. Take me, cut my head off and hang me on a wall. Well, thanks be to God, he didn't succeed. He didn't succeed. Jesus. Let me, let me just put it to you this way. Don't let me ask you to, to step down. You just step down. And I will find somebody that will fight. You hear what I'm telling you? Don't even wait for your pastor to come and say, uh, you know, it's time for the change. No, you make up your mind. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Stop being divided. Make up your mind. Somebody say praise the Lord. We are in a battle. It's an end time battle. Hallelujah. But Jesus has given us the victory. That's what I'm telling you. And if he's already given me the victory, if I don't avail myself to that authority, if I don't avail myself to that power, if I don't avail myself to that victory that he died that I might have, then I don't deserve to be used in his kingdom. But I'm going to honor him. I'm going to honor my Lord and Savior. I'm going to honor what he did on that, on that personal victory in the wilderness. I'm going to honor his victory on the death, burial, and resurrection. His death, burial, and resurrection. I'm going to honor him. And I'm going to do what I'm supposed to. I'm going to subdue the enemy. I'm going to put him under my feet. No more playing games. We have legal position in the Lord. Legal position. You have to know your legal position in the Lord. Say praise the Lord. Praise Somebody say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I go back to you, I tell you again, the foundation of power and authority is that you do not give in to him when he comes. If you if you stand fast, if you stand strong, when the enemy comes to try to defeat you and tries to tempt you, that is the foundation of power and authority. It's not that you didn't go through anything. But when you went through something, you stayed. When you went through it, you were able to defeat the enemy. And as a result of that, you got more authority and more power because you did not let the enemy win. Everybody has problems. Everybody has trouble. Everybody has battle. But where you get the foundation for power and authority in your life is you don't give in to the temptation. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Give the Lord praise in this house. To God be the glory. Great things He has done. How many of y'all believe Jesus Christ? You might not believe Him. You might not believe me, but I believe Him. I believe. I take Him at His word. We have a part in the defeat of the enemy. He's already defeated, but we have to. Are y'all with me here? We have to enforce it. How many of y'all have couches in your house? Praise the Lord, God's good. Amen. Hey, you got a couch. Don't have a bed yet. Got a couch. Amen. He doesn't have a bed too. At least you got a couch. You know, I mean, it's your couch. Praise the Lord. It's paid for. It belongs to you. But here's the point. Even though that thing belongs to you, a thief can come in and take it. 
Now, if a thief walks through the front door of your house and decides to take your couch, that's your couch, right? Which means he has no right to it, correct? But when he, if he walks into your house and, you know, him and his buddy get your couch and you're, you're watching them load it up, you let him take it, right? You let him drive off with your couch. Guess what? That's the same thing that many people do in the church. God has given us things legally and by right. They belong to us. But we let the enemy walk into our house and we fail to enforce what the Lord has done. When the enemy comes into your house, you have to enforce, oh no, that belongs to me. Well, I can't have it? No, you can't have it. It belongs to me. And I enforce that by not letting you take that. He's a thief. He doesn't have right to any of your stuff. He's a thief, but he comes. If you don't enforce what belongs to you, he will load it up and carry it off. When he comes, you have to enforce what belongs to you because he's going to come as a thief to steal it from you. Come on, give God praise in this house. Healing belongs to me. I enforce it. Salvation belongs to me. I enforce it. Victory is mine. I enforce it. Say praise the Lord. Legally in the spirit world, God, God works in this realm of, of legality. In the spirit world, legally, our position, number one, is in Christ. Ephesians 1, 3 through 7. We are partakers of His divine nature. 2 Peter 1 and verse 4. That is my position in Christ. Now, this is very important for you to understand when you're fighting in this warfare as you go to possess your promises and you vanquish the enemy that's already been defeated. It is important for you to understand, number one, who you are positionally, legally. Okay? Say praise God. What grounds do you have to stand on when the enemy comes? So legally, positionally, I am in Christ. And if I'm in Christ, then the Bible says also that I am indwelt. I am a partaker of His divine nature. That means I'm in Him and He's in me. Okay? That's my position right now. Doesn't matter how I feel, doesn't matter what things look like, that is a reality legally in the Spirit. I'm in Christ, He is in me. And put a period on it. Doesn't matter how I feel, that is a reality, okay? If any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creature, new creation. All things have passed away because all things have become new. That is a reality in the Spirit. I am in Christ, and Christ is in me, positionally. New creatures, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I preached to you Sunday night, and there's a new you coming. How many of y'all heard that word? It was preached. Woo, hallelujah! Well, since I preached it, it seems like we're on the other side of that right now. Seems like we're in the reality of that. There's a new you. I said it. I told you Sunday night, there's a new you coming. I'm telling you, it's already here. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise and worship. 
Positionally, I'm in Christ, and He's in me. Positionally, today, I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. Legally, positionally, I am in the kingdom of light. Colossians 1, 13-14, new creature, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And then the Bible says, I am seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1, 3. So that heaven is not just a place I'm going to. Heaven is a place I'm already... Where's heaven at? Where is heaven? Heaven is in Jesus. So if I'm seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, positionally I'm already in heaven because heaven is in Him. Hallelujah to the Lamb. So that is my position right now. I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. I'm a new creation. Say praise God. I'm in the kingdom of light. And I'm seated in heavenly places. That's my position. You've got to know who you are positionally. Praise God. Amen. What is my responsibility then? As a church member. My responsibility is live victorious over the sins of the flesh. The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That is my responsibility, and that is your responsibility. That's not God's responsibility. So you can't put everything on God. I hear the whole see, that's where some of you got a big problem. You want to put it all on God. You want God to do everything. I tell you by the Holy Ghost, there are some things that God's not going to do. There's some things that I'm responsible for. I have to do. Okay, I cannot yield to the sins of the flesh, the lust of the of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Amen. And so, as, as I do that, uh, that's my responsibility. Then, then Satan has no ground. Okay, what gives him ground to stand on is if I'm yielding to temptation. If I'm yielding to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those three areas of sin. I'm giving in to sin. Now Satan can come up and say, now I have ground to stand on. But when the enemy comes and tempts you, and you don't give in to the temptation of the sins of the flesh, he has no ground to stand on. You understand what I'm telling you? It's only when you and I yield to sin that the devil has a right to stand his ground there. Give the Lord praise in the house. So, my responsibility is to live victorious over the sins of the flesh. Amen? My, and that's John 14, 30. I have a responsibility to keep myself in the love of God. Keep yourself, as the Bible says, in the love of God. John, 1 John 4, 17 through 18 and 5, 18. Keep yourself in the love of God. Even the book of Jude talks about it. Keep yourself in the love of God. That's your responsibility. I must continue to love God and I must keep myself in the love of God. Say praise the Lord, church. And then I have a responsibility. James 4, 7, when the devil comes, you know what I'm saying? When the devil comes and attacks you, the Bible says submit to God first and resist the devil. He will flee from you. It doesn't say when the devil comes, you know, comes to you, attacks you. It doesn't say for you to flee and go and hide. The Bible says when the devil comes and attacks you, if you submit to God and resist him, he's going to run and hide. 
Y'all believe the Word of God? I believe the Word of the Lord. I'm not running from the devil. You're not running from the devil. He should be running from us. Right? Say praise the Lord. So submit and resist. Now, in our personal battlegrounds, we are attacked in our body, our body and our soul. And I'll talk, I'll talk to you about how the devil attacks your body, and I'll talk to you about how the devil attacks your soul in just a moment. But the reason why he attacks your body and the reason why he attacks your soul is to get to your spirit. That's his ultimate goal is to get to your spirit. All right? Say praise the Lord. So we, as human beings, come under attack from the enemy. Body attacks, attacks in the soul so he can get to our spirit. Say praise the Lord. Now, in 1 Peter 2.11, write that down. Okay? As we fulfill our responsibility, listen, what was our responsibility? Just gave it to you. Don't submit to the sin. Don't give in to the sins of the flesh, right? Live victorious. Amen. Over the sins of the flesh. What was the second one? Keep yourself in the love of God. What was the third one? Amen. Submit to God and resist the devil and he'll flee from you. That's our responsibility, right? Okay. Now you know your responsibility and so do I. What is your position? In Christ, Christ in you. New creation, right? What's the next thing? Positional, legally positioned. Where are you? In Christ, Christ in you, correct? New creation, what else? There's another one. Remember? We are in the kingdom of light. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You got to know your position, and if you fulfill your responsibility, listen, and you know your position, then when personal battle comes against you, you will be victorious over the enemy, right? So as we fulfill our responsibility and know our position, there is no ground for satanic attack. Wow. The Bible tells you if you keep yourself in the love of God, if you stay where you're supposed to be in God, the, the Bible says the wicked would touch it, him not. If you don't give the enemy any, and, and, and that was in John, and I gave it to you, okay, so let me back up here. First uh, John 4, 17 through 18 and 5, 18. John is talking about that. He's talking about a person that lives in such a way where they know their position and they keep their responsibility. Those people, the Bible says, the wicked one toucheth them not because he has no grounds. I don't want the enemy to even be able to touch me. Say praise God. That is the truth in the word of God that you live in such a way that the enemy toucheth you not. If you don't understand it, church, let me bring it to you like this. He's a spiritual terrorist. He's come to chain you, bind you, and beat you. And after he gets through beating you half to death, then he wants to cut your head off. He is not your friend. He is a spiritual enemy. 
He's a terrorist. You have to understand the battle you're in. Would you let some terrorist come into your home or come and take you, chain you, and beat you to a pulp and then cut your head off without a fight? Would you stand still and allow yourself to be terrorized that way? I say you would not. Then why are you inactive? Why are you allowing yourself to be bound? Why are you allowing that terrorist to touch you, to beat you, to destroy you, to kill you? It's real. And we can live in such a way if we know our position and we fulfill our responsibility that the enemy, that spiritual terrorist, cannot touch us. Come on, church. I have a hard time believing that there's anybody in this house that would allow themselves to be brutally beaten by a terrorist and be beheaded by a terrorist without a fight. I call you to action. I charge you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to know your position and fulfill your responsibility so that terrorist cannot get to you. Somebody say praise the Lord. Keep yourself in the love of God. Now watch this. We're talking about individual responsibility. What if somebody else doesn't do that? Well, a person can take themselves out of the love of God. A person can remove themselves out of the kingdom. But if somebody you know removes themselves out of the kingdom and, and doesn't keep themselves in the love of God, what are you going to do? going to stop fighting? I'm not. I don't want that spiritual terrorist to come in and, and bind me and beat me to a pulp and then cut my head off. That's what you're dealing with. If you can, if we can, see, sometimes it's hard for us to, to get our minds and our spirits and, and our understanding about the kind of battle we're in. We are in a battle. He is a spiritual terrorist. He was a murderer from the beginning. He is a liar. He abode not in the truth. He backslid out of the church. He hates God. He hates you. He's a terrorist. He's a murderer. He's no friend of yours. He's no friend of mine. I plan in the name of Jesus, not by my own authority, but by His. Hallelujah. I plan by delegated authority, by the name of Jesus, by knowing my position and my responsibility to God, I'm going to do some damage to His kingdom. I'm going to do some damage to the enemy of God and the enemy of my family and the enemy of my life and the enemy of my wife. I plan on doing some damage to His kingdom. I'm doing damage right now as I preach. In the name of Jesus, I'm doing damage. I'm not letting him come and take my couch. Uh, Brother John said, partner? Oh, partner, that belongs to me. What are you doing? Get, drop that couch right now and get out of here. Amen? I can live in such a way. 
want to give God in such a way and understand because I know my position. I know my position, who I am in Christ. I can't touch me. Not fulfill my responsibilities to Christ. He can't touch me. If he can't touch me, he can't touch my family. He can't touch my family. Are you hearing me? He can't touch my wealth. He can't touch my, my health. Are y'all with me right now? Only if God allows him to. Only if God allows him to. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? But I will tell you this. If God allows him to touch you like he did Job, God will step in on your behalf and defeat him in the end. You know, you may be in a Job-like process right now, but in the end, though he slay me, yet shall I trust him. The Lord will give you the victory over the enemy. He will, but you've got to fight. You have to fight. You can't stop fighting. You've got to fight. You can't just let it take over. You can't say that. We are victorious in our spirit, in our soul, in our body. We're victorious in our spirit. Remember, he's, he attacks your body and your soul to get your spirit. We're victorious in the spirit, in our spirit, because the Holy Ghost indwells our spirit. As Colossians said, we are, we are in union with the Christ of God. Amen? We are in union with his spirit. Our spirit is in union with him. And so because the Holy Ghost dwells in my spirit the devil can't come on somebody as long as I, as I know my position I fulfill my responsibility because the Holy Ghost is in me the devil can't possess me it's only when I'm not fulfilling my responsibility and I don't know my position that the, that the enemy can touch me but if I'm full of the Holy Ghost this morning the devil can't possess me hallelujah I'm victorious in the spirit because the Holy Ghost of God lives inside of me. And if you can receive it, if you can understand it this way, your spirit on the inside of you is the Holy of Holies. In the temple of God, you got the Holy of Holies, the holy place, the outer court. Your spirit is the Holy of Holies. It's the dwelling place of the King. It's where the Spirit of the living God has set up His throne on the inside of you. You have become the Holy of Holies of God's Spirit. And because of that, because you are the Holy of Holies, hallelujah, the naos of God, you are protected in your spirit from the devil. I am victorious in my body, in my soul, excuse me. The soul is the holy place in the temple of God. And the soul realm, church, is where he throws those fiery darts in the soul realm. You hear what I'm saying? What is the soul? The soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. So <clears throat> this is where all the fiery darts are cast. They are cast at your soul. Amen. You know what I'm talking about. Temptation, fiery dart. Where did the temptation come? Where did it go? Where did he send it? He sent it in the holy place. 
He sent it into your soul. He tempts your soul. He tempts your mind, your will, and your emotions. He attacks you with temptation. He attacks you with fear. He attacks you with doubt. He attacks you with depression. He torments you. Those are fiery darts of the wicked one that he throws at the holy place called your soul. Give God praise in the house. If your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions, the holy place, that's where, have you ever had doubts? you ever have fears? you ever fight depression? you ever have overcome, overcome temptation? Where, where's all that going on in your mind? How are you going to overcome that? By renewing your mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2. How do you renew your mind? By the Word of God. Remember? Brainwash your mind with the Word of God. You need, I need a brainwashing. I need a... I don't like that word, Pastor. Don't talk about brainwashing. I need a brainwashing. I need a brainwashing. The way, the way I brainwash myself, I renew myself, is by the Word of God. And the more I get in the Word of God and, and wash my brain, then guess what happens? I have a heart washing. So I have to renew my mind. I have to have a brainwashing all the time. Because every day, when's the last day you got up that you weren't tempted by the enemy? When was the last day you got up and you weren't tormented or, or, or fear tried to get inside of you? How, when was the last time? Are y'all here with me right now? Doubt and fear and unbelief came running into your holy place. When was the last time that you didn't have a day that you didn't experience any of that? Every day you get up, there is a fiery dart coming from the devil into your holy place. You get in the Word of God. And when you get in the Word of God, you will be victorious in the holy place. Give the Lord praise in the house. You're attacked. And you hear in the soul realm, fear, doubt, depression, temptation, fiery darts. Now listen, thoughts come from three places. They come from man, they come from, from God, they come from Satan. Matthew 16 teaches you this. And I'll give you the verses. I don't have time to go and read it and preach it to you. But Matthew 16, if you begin with verse 13, you go all the way through 23. You will see thoughts come from man, 13 through 14, God, 15 through 17, evil spirits, 21 through 23. So you and I have to know, hallelujah, we have to have the ability to know where that thought's coming from. Because there's thoughts coming to me from, from myself. There's thoughts that are coming to me from other people. There are thoughts that are coming uh, to me from God. There are thoughts that are coming to me from Satan. And I have to have the ability to know where that thought came from. Now listen to me what I say, what I preach to you this morning. In Matthew 16, Peter, listen to me, Peter was under attack by the enemy. The thoughts of the enemy were coming at him. So that so much so that, that Peter became a mouthpiece for the enemy. He just said he was going to go to the cross. Oh, be it far from you, Jesus. But Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. But I say that's not the things of God, but the things that be of man. He 
knew when, when Peter opened his mouth what, what voice, what thought was, where it was coming from, where it originated from, that, that that thought came from Satan. Do you understand? So we, need, we have to have the ability because these thoughts are going to come from Satan. They're going to come from your own minds. Hallelujah. We want to know what is the mind of God, what is the thoughts of God. Sin entered the mind when? When Satan tempted Eve in the garden. Sin entered the mind. Peter allowed thoughts, are y'all with me? From Satan to enter his mind. Matthew 16, 22-23. You with me? Judas accepted the thoughts of betrayal. Peter allowed the inference of thoughts from Satan. But Judas accepted the thoughts of betrayal. John 13, 2 and 27. So we must renew our mind. Romans 12, 1 through 2. Philippians, the Bible says uh, that we are to let the mind of Christ dwell in us. We are to think on divine things. Divine things. Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Praise God. Because we know these thoughts are coming from the enemy. We know we have our own thoughts. We, that the thoughts of God. So if I think on, a, if I think on, meditate on divine thoughts, Philippians chapter 4. Praise God. awesome. I have to know what is the thought of God, what's the mind of God. I have to meditate on the Word of God so I can get His thoughts. And so when the enemy comes and brings His thoughts to my mind, I don't let them enter me like Peter allowed them to enter him. I, for sure, don't want to be Judas Iscariot, which accepted the thoughts. Amen? That's where the battle. So we have to renew our mind by the word of God. We have to think on divine things. We must crucify the carnal mind. Romans 8, 7 through 9. Crucify it. And we must cast down main imagination. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. Praise God. So every day that you and I live, we are bombarded in the holy place with fiery darts from the enemy. I can allow them to enter. I can accept them. Or I can crucify them. I can cast them down. And I can get the mind of God by getting into His Word. Meditating on His Word. If I do that, I will be victorious. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. So the enemy comes, right? He brings a thought to you. You allow it to enter in. And after you, after you allow it to enter in, then you accept it. And then you fail. God doesn't want us to fail in the holy place realm. He does not want us to fail in the soul realm of mind, will, and emotion. We have the answer. It's the Word of God. It's thinking on His Word. Number three, the body slips the picture of the outer courts. How does the enemy attack your body? Good. He attacks your body with sickness. He attacks your body with disease. Right? He attacks our bodies with infirmity. He attacks our appetites. Hallelujah. So when I'm talking about the body, I'm not 
I'm not just talking about the physical body. I'm talking about your five senses. Amen? What you smell, what you see, what you taste, what you hear. Those are the five senses of your body. He attacks us in the area of appetite. Hallelujah to the Lamb. And he can't get you with appetite. He'll hit you with sickness. and He'll hit you with disease. But the Lord has given us victory. By his armor. How many ever, and I'm almost done. I told you I had to go fast this morning. I'm almost done. How many when you were attacked in your body and you got sick, you notice that it affected your spirit, but it affected your soul? He's after your body. He's after your soul. That is his whole goal. But whatever he's got to use, the half appetite to the body, disease, sickness, whatever he's got to use, hallelujah, he will. Whatever thought he's got to send to you, depression, discouragement, fear, doubt, unbelief, tempt you with sin, whatever he's got to do in that holy place, he will do it. y'all understand now, maybe like you never understood before. I will just tell you this, by the by, what I believe God reveals to me is this, to me, and that is that we, that the enemy is a spiritual terrorist. And he wants to strip you, murder you, cut your head off, He knows he's going there. He wants to take you there. How many trophies are in hell tonight? Men and women of God who were powerfully used by God in the Spirit to preach. And Satan watched their movement and their habits day after day. He he watched their weaknesses. He knew their weaknesses. He knew where they would go. He knew what they would do. He knew what thoughts they would have. And he didn't give up. He watched. He stopped. And he said, you're defensive. You're going. Stepped in and said, how many preachers are in hell tonight? Pentecostal preachers. I'm not talking about the so-called denominal preachers. I'm talking about apostolic Jesus name one God preachers that really, really did know God. Stop this by the hand. Stop it. Baited the trap. He just waited for him. young man preachers, when I heard this young man preach years ago, it's really what God used to propel me into a call of ministry when I heard this man preach. Young man preached. He talked about his grandfather. His grandfather was an apostolic Pentecostal preacher. He passed away from the Lord. He talked about attending the funeral service of those who had come and gone from the place of the holy. Those who had walked away from God grandfather did after being a Pentecostal pastor and that young man stood up there and he preached 
those who have come in line from the place of the holy, those who have left God. This is what Jones trying to do with them. You and I have to get a revelation of who this really is who says, I understand that. We won't just passively sit by. We have to know our position and fulfill our responsibility and understand there is a holy of holies. It's called the Spirit. And the Spirit is indwelt by the Spirit of God, the holy place where your mind is, which is salted by fiery darts, and your body, which is your five senses, which is constantly attacked by the enemy. Jesus is Personally, in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection, he is victorious and representatively for us in his death, Calvary, and his resurrection. He's victorious, and so are we. We have everything we need to be victorious. Put on the Lord's army. Jeremiah 50 25, 2 Corinthians 10 through 5. God has an army. Army. You know, and I'm almost done. They, they just stand with me. But I've heard preachers preach from time to time. And they talk about how we're not in battle anymore. We're not in battle anymore. And, and they make, they, they kind of, you know, poke at preachers or people in, in the church that talk about spiritual warfare. We're not in spiritual warfare anymore. You might not be, but I am. I don't even know what you're talking about. I haven't made it to heaven yet. You understand? But I have weapons that the Lord has supplied. And I'm going to share my 25, 10-5, the Word of God. John 8, 32-34. Amen? You shall know the truth. If you continue in my word, if you continue in my word, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Not set you free, but make you free. By continuing in his word, it's not just reading the Bible. You can read the Bible and not continue in His Word. You continue in His Word. We know you're not a disciple. You shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. So you bombard your, your appetite with drugs and addictions and take this drug, take this alcohol, smoke this, do this. And let me tell you something. Understand that this world is giving you poison as well. You're trying to get your body to say that you can do whatever. You're trying to get to your spirit. Do you for the Lord? Give the Lord a hand clap. If I continue in His Word, I'm a disciple. And that that word's going to make you free. In my word to know you're not a disciple. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall what make you free. If I'm not free this morning, if I'm bound this morning, it's because 
I'm listening to a lie. Because if I'm walking in truth, the Bible tells me it's going to make me preach. So anything I'm thinking right now in this service this morning, if it's not truth, it's going to bind me. If I'm bound, if you're bound this one, that's because you're listening to a lie. Because if it's from God, it will make you free. And if you're free, you are what? Free indeed. You got the title lead to it. What makes me today free is the truth. What binds me, keeps me bound, is the lie. I'm not going to listen to his lie. By the grace of God. I'm not bound. But Paul stood in front of those leaders and said, he said, you know, he's standing there, he's got chains on his hands, standing in front of those leaders. But the word of God is not me. You can chain me. You can find me, put me in stocks, whatever. You can chain me. But I, Paul said, standing there in chains. He's still preaching the word of God. He said, the word of God is not bound. He turned the tables on that fella. He started preaching, amen, righteousness, hallelujah. He preached about the judgment to come, temperance and righteousness and the judgment to come. And when he started preaching, he's a little chained up preacher. The Bible said the one sitting on the throne that had him chained started trembling. Because the word of God is not bound. You can put his preacher in chains. You can put a preacher in prison. But you can't find the word of God. started preaching about tempest, which he wasn't a tempest man. Righteousness, he wasn't a righteous man. He started preaching the judgment for the cub. Judgment's cub, the great white throne, that man started tripping. <coughs> the word of God said he had a conviction. Say praise the Lord. The word of God makes you free. Makes me free. Does it make you free? How do y'all love the Lord? That's what I love about God's Word. That a man, a weak man, a man of any purpose, get up and preach the Word of God. Because the Word of God has power. All the man has is he's a delegate of the authority. He preaches that Word, that is the authority. From the strong man, Jesus Christ. And when that word goes forth, I don't know if it happens anymore here, but when we were on Gladys, that little tin building over there, there'd be people coming to hear the word of God preached. And this testimony, they won't even believe it. This testimony was. He said, There's a tree in the ship that they came here and had it. Word of God's not bound. If it doesn't touch you, if it doesn't impact you anymore, you better find a place. I said, you better find a place. If I could preach this word of God, you say, well, that's just a thought. If I could preach this word of God, it doesn't impact you, touch you, or cause you to tremble anymore. You no longer fear His word. You better get in a place where you can find God. You better seek Him with all of your heart. 
He said, if you seek him with all your heart, then you're going to find him, but you better find him if you don't tremble anymore. The Word of God has no effect on you. Isn't it interesting that some would come in those days, sit in church, they would walk out trembling. And then one, one person, one guest I met in the service, they went to service, and I preached the Word of God, and they walked out, and you know what they told me the next day? They didn't feel anything. I told him, I said, I felt God. You didn't feel anything. To this day, they're not saved. If you cannot be impacted by the Word of God, there's a very strong possibility that you are not saved. We must be impacted by the Word of the Lord. Because you like the messenger, I don't I don't send the dogs out every time the mailman comes to my house. I don't like that man. Go get him. It's not about the mailman. It's about the, the beauty of the mail. You might not like the messenger, but you better get the mail this morning. Hallelujah. I don't I love you. If you don't love me, you got the hang up. You got the problem. But I'm telling you right now, I'm just a delivery person. You better get the mail. I need the mail. Because the word of God is going to make you free. Why do you need to know the word of God? Because you have to have the ability to exercise your legal rights. If you don't know your legal rights, you won't exercise your legal rights. And no wonder God said this. I come to a church. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. They don't know their rights because they don't know the word. And so the devil will attack you in the realm of ignorance. He attacks me. I haven't arrived yet. I'm not in heaven yet. I don't have a glorified body yet. I'm not perfect. He attacks me. If he attacks me, he attacks me in the area of my ignorance. And then what makes me free? To the word of God. Know your legal rights so you can exercise your legal rights. Because without knowledge, you'll be destroyed. My people are destroyed. Thank God for His Word. Amen. When Jesus, when the devil came to Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus did what? What did He say? How do you defeat the devil? It is written. Amen. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life is the same temptation Jesus did. That the devil brought to Jesus. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes. Body, soul, spirit. Every one of those realms of attack, Jesus said, It is written. He defeated the devil by the word. It is written. You have to know the word of God. 
If you don't, he will attack your ignorance. It is written. We use the name of Jesus. know our legal rights by the word of God but we exercise our legal rights by using the name can you believe it I have a legal right to use the name of Jesus you know what's so awesome any little child that's been baptized in water in the name of Jesus has legal rights to use the name of Jesus any little child well you got to be in a certain point no 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 if you're baptized in his name You've been called by his name. That means you have the right to use his name. If a woman gets married to a man, takes his name, now she has a right to use his name. Because you've taken his name in baptism, now you have the right to use that name. And I don't care what age you are. A little child can pray in the name of Jesus. You'll see things happen. We have to know our legal rights by the word, by knowing the word of God, and we use the name of Jesus because we have a legal right to use the name of Jesus. Jesus. Power and authority. I will go here. Luke. Almost done. Almost means what? Absolutely nothing. Seventeen, Luke ten seventeen, and the seventy returned to give with joy, saying, "Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through Thy name." He said to them, "I behold, Satan is lightning fall from heaven. When? Yeah, I cast him out of heaven in ages past, but he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven when those seventy went out and cast the devil out." When they walked in that power and authority and they used the name of Jesus, that's when Jesus saw Satan fall like lightning. When the 70 were casting those demons out. We know he as God was the one who cast him out of heaven. But the context is when the 70 went out and used his name. That's when Satan fell out. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. How many of y'all believe the word of God? What does he want? Serpents and scorpions? Under your feet. I've given you power to what? Tread. Thy kingdom come. I'm treading on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Walk on snakes, walk on scorpions, and not ever be hurt. Because he gives us power and authority to legally use his name. You don't get up there and start saying, In the name of Moses, in the name of Randall, 
in the name. Forget it. You call your name all day long. In the name Daniel Parker. In the name Hallelujah. Jerry Parker. <laughs> you laugh. But you're saying right about it. Yeah. Uh, see, I... Said Randall hated him. And I said Jerry Carter, God. Nothing's going to happen. He said, My authority. In my name. No, no, no. In the name of Jesus. And when you speak the name of Jesus, devils tremble. Right? Good to know if terrorist comes in your house, how to beat you, take your head off, kill you, and then hang you on the wall. If a terrorist comes in your house, all you got to do is say, Jesus! Then turn around and walk out. Jesus. You ever heard those old testimonies of the old saints? Praise God, old, old Jesus name, saints. Hallelujah. A robber came up to one sister, one older sister in the Lord. A robber came up to her. He was going to try to steal her purse and stuff. He said, in Jesus' name. He looked at her. He took off her. I'm telling you the truth when I say this. I'm not embellishing the truth. I'm telling you the truth. I was in a conference where, where a woman of God was testifying. Somebody said she's getting arrested real bad rest. All they could do is shout, Jesus! And then all of a sudden, they had a clear path. They didn't know how it happened. Cool, man. Power is in the name of Jesus. When Jesus comes in, you say, in the name of Jesus, and watch what happens. We have his name. We have uh, Christ in us. If Christ is in us, who's the point? Christ is in you. 1 John 2 4. Greater is he that in you than he that's in the world. Amen? If Christ is in me and I'm in him, I know my position. What does that do for me? Greater is he that's in me. Y'all doing that? All right, out there, you're doing real good in the name of the Lord. We have the blood. First John one five through six. The blood. Why do you need the blood? Yeah. Because if you don't fulfill your responsibility, you give yourself and give yourself to the sins of the flesh. What are you going to do? Walk all day and just remember, remember, remember what you did. All all remembering your sin does is to keep you from repeating it again. You still have to have the blood to do what? To cleanse you. So if, if, if I mean, I've enemy comes and he's got legal grounds for, for sin in my life, I need the blood. I confess my sin. If I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to cleanse me. Amen. Forgive my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. 
I need the blood in spiritual warfare. Any guilty people out there this morning? There's some guilty people out there this morning? That means the enemy can walk up right now. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Hallelujah. Now the blood of Jesus cleanses us. He don't have any ground to stand anymore. You know what I told you about that, that story? I just keep on going. Keep on going. Keep on going. So I told that story about Martin Luther. He didn't have all the truth. You know that? He didn't have all the truth. Do you also know that he was partly involved in the murder of one God believer? I'm not getting into that. He was a murderer. But he did know something about the blood. The devil came to him one day, gave him a big old list. This is what he said. He claimed. He gave a list of all of his sins. The devil standing there with his sins recorded. Luther said, is that every one of them? Go write every one of them down. Satan went and wrote down every one of Luther's sins. Came back and said, "Here they are." Luther says that every one of them. Yeah, that's every one of them. The blood of Jesus cleanses me from all unrighteousness. That's what he wrote on it. The blood of Jesus cleanses. And his testimony was the devil disappeared. Hallelujah to the Lamb. I'm forgiven this morning. I'm cleansed by the blood. He doesn't have any ground to stand on. Thank you, Jesus. The power of the Holy Ghost. You shall receive power. Acts 1 and 8. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall receive power. Dunamis. Dynamic ability. The power of the Holy Ghost comes on you. Right? Use it against the enemy. He gets to the Spirit. When he gets to the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 9 through 11, he gets the spirit. Why? Because he has a discerning of spirits. Amen? Discerning of spirits. What kind of spirit does that person have? Is that a human spirit? Is that a demonic spirit? Is that the spirit of God? What spirit is working in you? That's that discerning of spirits. That's what the gift of the spirit is for. Y'all believe that? Woo! The Bible's very clear. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ is Son of the flesh and the spirit of Antichrist. Amen? So if you want to know what spirit you're, you're working with, you say, Is Jesus Lord? Well, they may say Jesus is Lord with their mouth. Right? But if they don't confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that means that Jesus is Son of the flesh, God Son of the flesh, they are the spirit of Antichrist. Right off, you know. So you got the spirit of the Antichrist. You don't confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, God's Son of Flesh. You also have the spirit of Antichrist. Okay? But here's what you need to also understand. If the person refuses to confess that Jesus has come into his church, because when you talk about Jesus, Christ is God coming in flesh. He came as a man and he walked the earth. Crucified, dead, buried, resurrected, ascended, and sat on the right hand of God. Listen, we know that. But where a lot of people fail to confess him is that he manifests himself in the body called the church. Now, I believe that Jesus 
was God coming flesh? Yeah. But do you believe that he sent his church? I don't believe I've got to attend church. I am the church. You better be careful. You better be real careful with that. Because you could be bordering on a line that if you confess your Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. Which means that you need this body All these so-called people, they got so they think they're so it's just like one guy told me the other day. He said their education is higher than their spiritual understanding. We don't need the church. We are the church. We don't need the pastor. Do you fail to understand that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? He's in his body called the church. You and I need the church if we're going to confess that. You say you don't need the church? You are literally saying, I don't believe that Jesus Christ is coming to us. You are on borderline. I will never, I don't care, by the grace of God, I don't care how many battles I have, I will never get to a place where I say I don't need the church. That's where God manifests himself. Start, the enemy start working you on the, in the realm of the church. You don't need the church anymore. You better go get a checkup and a haircut. You better run to the doctor. You know what your pastor's telling you? Because that's where God manifests Himself in the flesh today. Woo. You know what just happened right there? The Spirit of God, His Word. This is the sword of the Spirit. He just took the sword of his spirit, his word, and he cut the head off of that guy. Tells you you don't need the church anymore. I confess today that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That means that Jesus, are y'all here today? Bodily came, was God coming in the flesh. I confess today that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh in his body, the church. That's why I'm here. I'm gathered here. Amen? be a part of that corporate body of Jesus Christ. Are you thankful for the church? Not just because you have parties all the time. I've never seen a party church yet. And then next week is Mother's Day. And then the next week after that we got a wedding. I mean it's like we never stop partying around here. Love the party, man. And that's what we like to have a good time. But you know what? We're here because we, we literally, when you came this morning, whether you realize it or not, you're making a confession. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Amen? I love it, don't you? How many of y'all love the Word of God? This is how you get victory over the enemy. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Put on the whole armor of God and read the armor of God, right? Helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness. Amen. Have you learned, glowing, blurted out the truth? <coughs> Y'all believe the word? Taking up the shield of faith. Well, you should be able to quench all the fire of God should have been, right? Having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I'm going to read the word of God today. 
We need it. We need it. We need it from head to toe. We need a helmet of salvation. We need a breastplate of righteousness. We need a shield of faith. We need a sword of the Spirit. Amen. We need the girdle of truth. We need to have our feet shod in preparation of the gospel of peace. Amen. Because we have solid footing. I hope you know that those spots are about that long in those Roman soldiers' uh, shoes. Just slipping all over the place because you don't have proper shoes on. But we need that, right? But God has given us his, his armor. We have his armor. And I just went through it. Let me go through it real quick again. The word of God. So we can exercise our legal rights. The name of Jesus. Legal rights in Jesus' name. Power and authority. And in that name. Christ in you. Greatest need is in you. Believers in the world, the blood, the cleansing and forgiveness of sin, the power of the Holy Ghost, the gifts of the Spirit, the discerning of spirits, the armor of God, Ephesians 10, 6, 10 through 18. We must war as believers. We must fight a good fight. Let's go to Matthew 16, 19. Jesus gives the last verse. I told you I had to go fast. I had a lot to say. Matthew 16, 18. I say unto you, to unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I believe that for all my heart. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church of the living God. And because of the victory of Jesus Christ over Satan and all his demons, personally, we thank God today that we as a church are to go forth and subdue Satan under our feet. Amen. And that God has given us all the weapons that we need. If we understand our legal position and we fulfill our responsibilities in any of these responsibilities. Let us go forth because Jesus has gotten us the victory. Let us go forth. Amen. And war, a good war. You know, you can go to war. The Bible talks about war and a good war. You can go to war and not war a good war. Man, you can go to war, you can fight, praise God. You come back and people see they got all, you know, you're all beat up and shot up and everything else. Well, we can tell you've been in war, but did you war a good war? Did you win the battle? It's not just about war, it's not just about fighting all the time. Anybody can fight, but did you war a good war? fight a good fight. I want to fight a good fight. It means I want to win. When I go to when I go to war and I go to fight, I want to win. I want you to have that competitive spirit spiritually in you. If you're gonna go and fight, don't waste your time just to go and fight and get beat up. Man, you go in this thing to win that win this thing. Win this fight. How many are, how many gonna war a good war? Not just war. Hallelujah. Praise God, if I'm gonna fight, I want a good outcome. Amen. Praise God, if me and my wife's going to have a fight, I want to win every one of them. I don't want to come out with knots on my head for no cause. I want to win every one of them. I just got that competitive thing about me, you know. Praise the Lord. I mean, you know, sometimes the best way to fight that one is just surrender. Hallelujah. Then you, hallelujah. You don't have any, any knots on Whatever strategy, just win. 
war a good war, not a good pastor, because of the victory of Christ has won for us. He's a good God. Amen. Let's stand. Father God, we thank you right now. We, we thank you for your word. Praise the Lord. We thank you for the victory. Church, join me in celebration for the victory of Jesus Christ. The victory of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ over Satan, over all the power of the enemy. Lord, we celebrate. God, we worship you. We glorify you. We thank you, God. Hallelujah to the Lamb. In Jesus' name we pray. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. Hallelujah. To God be the glory. Amen. Just lift your hands and love Him, would you? Love Him. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him from them all. Lord, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. I couldn't have made it without you. I thank you, Lord, today. I'm nothing without you, Lord. I thank you, God, for all you've done for me, all you've done for this church, all you've done for your people, God. Receive the glory and the honor and the praise and the worship. Lord, we declare and we enforce in your name this morning what your word says. Satan is defeated. He is defeated. By your finished work, we enforce that as your body. To you belongs the glory and the honor and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord.